You are listening to Revival Talk. I'm Pastor Terry Bailey, and I want to thank you for joining me today. My message is titled, The Best of Times and the Worst of Times. Join me as we examine what God is saying for us prophetically for the coming year 2023. I've entitled this message this morning, The Best of Times and the Worst of Times. And as a subtitle, I've called it Entering into 2023 and Beyond. Go with me if you have your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 23. And it's on the screen. Then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants bringing retribution on the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. At the end of each year, I pray and ask God for prophetic direction for the coming year. And the Lord will give us prophetic insight, I believe, to prepare and encourage us as we enter a new year. We need, I believe, in this season, in 2023, we need to hear the word of the Lord. I believe that we're living in what the Bible describes as the last days. And I believe we're living in days that the Apostle Paul described when he wrote to his young son in the faith, Timothy. And he said that in the last days perilous times shall come. I believe we're living in those days. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, in the last days you'll hear wars and rumors of wars. And there's not a day go by that we don't hear about the war in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia. And there's not a day that goes by that we don't hear of rumors of wars that are taking place all around the globe. So we are living, I believe, in the last days. But I believe we must remember the words of the Apostle Paul when we talk about prophecy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9, it says, We know in part, and we prophesy in part. God does not give us the complete picture. So what I'm going to share with you this morning about this coming year is just glimpses of what is to come. And we don't have the whole picture. We don't know how God's going to unfold it. And let me just challenge you this. We cannot confine God and a prophetic word to 12 calendar months. Though we say that this is what we believe God is saying for 2023, there's still things in the past years that only now we're beginning to see come to pass. In 2015, I I prophesied and told you there'll come a day that there'll be such violence in our nation and there'll be such rage in our nation that you would have to pray and listen carefully about whether you go to the mall or not. In 2020, I read it to you. Last Wednesday night, the Lord gave us a word here about Cuba and what he's going to do in Cuba. And I showed you how God is beginning to move in Cuba and how the word of the Lord is coming to pass. You know there's a revival that's happening in Cuba right now. And this revival is going to be so powerful that it's going to shake the foundation of that nation. And the government that's over that nation, which is under an antichrist system, is going to fall. It's going to falter. And it's going to collapse in Jesus' name. And the church is going to come forth in this hour. And we're going to see revival. And the glory of God is going to be over that little island of Cuba but we don't always have the complete picture 
But I love the words of Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not. I like it from the Amplified Bible. It says, call to me and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things, fenced in and hidden, which you do not know, do not distinguish and recognize, have knowledge of and understand. As we pray and we spend time waiting in his presence, he will give revelation about what we're experiencing and about our future. The prophet Amos penned these words in Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servant, the prophets. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, he reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. And we must remember that prophetic ministry is for our comfort, our exhortation, and our encouragement. In 1 Corinthians 14, 3, the Apostle Paul said, He who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to man. In the opening paragraph of his book, A Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickinson wrote, he said, It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was a spring of hope. It was a winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on it being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. Now, why have I chosen the words of Dickens as a title for my message. I believe that this will describe the year that we're entering into. It will be the best of times for the true believer, but the worst of times for the carnal, indifferent believer and the unbeliever. In Genesis 18:25, it says, Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. It will be days of true revival. It will be days of true outpouring, but it will also be days of intense warfare. I love this quote from James W. Gold of God Encounter Ministries. He says, the last few years have brought forth a host of changes, horrors, and uncertainties. You might be holding onto your hat with concern, gripping your seat in terror, or completely dislodged from your place of authority, faith, and hope. Wherever you find yourself today, remember this. When gas prices soar and the housing market turns unpredictable, the Lord sees. When countries go to war and innocent blood is shed, the Lord grieves. When times are as ever-changing as the waves of the sea, the Lord speaks. God is more acquainted with the times and seasons than you are, and he knows what happens next. He even knows the end of the story. So I've come today not with bad news, not with doom and gloom. Yes, things are going to be hard. Yes, there's going to be more shaking. Yes, there's going to be uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen in the economy. But I've come by to tell you that if you read the last page of the book, the final chapter, you find out that if you're a born-again believer who knows the Lord Jesus Christ and you're walking with him, we win. The good news is found in Revelation 1.8. Listen, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So I've been asking the Lord, I've been saying, God, for weeks and weeks, what are you saying to us about 2023? 
We declared 2022 a year of divine visitation. And last year I just presented two things to you that this visitation would bring, that God would revision us. And we're in the midst of that. We're walking through that right now. He would revision us, and this would bring revitalization. In the last year, we started new outreaches. We've reached more families and people than we've reached in all of my tenure as pastor. But we must be careful this morning that we don't limit God. We stop and pause to celebrate what God did in the past. And we declare that 2023 is going to be a continuation of that. We're believing for a divine visitation of the Holy Spirit. We're believing for a harvest of souls, a harvest of increase. We're believing that God is going to do something so great and so big that we'll have to fall on our faces and declare it was all of God and none of us. It wasn't our ingenuity. It wasn't our talent. It wasn't our programs. But it was simply a divine move of the Holy Spirit coming in the midst of his people bringing true revival in a year of shaking and difficulty we can't limit these insights that God gives us to just 12 months we don't want to be on December the 31st saying well we, you said we was going to have such and such and we didn't have it God's not in time God moves according to his time come on somebody so why do we release these words at the beginning of the year well a new year represents a new start why do we release the words at the beginning of the year? Because the year represents a new beginning. We're closing out the old and we're embracing the new. And God has a different calendar than we have. Most of the Western world observes the Gregorian calendar. But the Jewish people observe a biblical Hebrew calendar. The Orthodox churches of Eastern Europe, Russia, Ukraine, Greece, different, they observe the Julian calendar. That's why they have a different date for Easter and Christmas. I think yesterday was an Orthodox Christmas. If we look at the Hebrew calendar, we're currently in the year 5783. This is the decade of pay. We've talked about that. Has to do in the Hebrew with your speech, your breath, and with your mouth. Is it any wonder that COVID came to attack those things? And then we're in the year 83 of this decade, and this year is a year of Gamal. It's a year for you to war for your recovery. The Lord spoke to David at Ziglag in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8. He said, pursue and recover all. The enemy had taken the families and the goods of David and his men, and what the enemy stole from them, they were able to war to get them back. What's the enemy stolen from you over the past two years? It's time to war for your recovery. If I had to sum up the Hebrew year, and I don't want to talk a lot about that this morning, I would say it's simply this. The image of this year is the camels are coming. But that's the image that we have this year. In 2020, we released a word about divine reset. And we did not know at the beginning of that year all that we would walk through. And we had no idea about COVID or the pandemic. You see, we see through a glass darkly. And truly, it became a year of divine reset. And one of the scriptures that the Lord highlighted for us was Joshua chapter 3, verse 4. And here, let me just give you the last part of that. For you have not passed this way before. And three years later, we're still in a time of reset. And a key word, anybody remember this for 2020, was the word recompense. And recompense is more than just being repaid. It's repayment with interest. And I put in my notes for that, I went back and looked and I said, this is a word for this decade. God is going to repay you for those things you've lost or have been stolen from you. But we got a war for that recovery. So in asking God... For direction this year, I was drawn to the study of the number 23. 
And I've studied for years. I've studied numbers in scriptures. I'm not a numerologist. I'm not a new age person. But every number has a meaning in scripture. It's a fascinating study. One's the number of God. It's the primary number. All other numbers flow from it. Two is a number of perfect witness, but it's also in the negative a number of division. Three is the number of the Trinity. Four is creation. Five is grace. Six is the number of man. Seven is completion. Eight is new beginnings and resurrection. Nine is fruit bearing or judgment. Ten is perfect order. Eleven is transition or disorder. And in the positive, eleven is heroes rising up. Twelve is perfect government. And thirteen is rebellion. So when I begin to look at the number 23, 23 in the negative means death. And in the positive, it is the presence of God. The best of times and the worst of times. Pastor Troy Brewer writes in his book, Numbers That Preach, it is a number formed from 10 plus 13. In the negative, it's how God brings his perfect order to man's rebellion, judgment of death through the law. In the positive, it is associated with being in the presence of God. In Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. I want you to see that. They're deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Do you know how many things are listed in that passage of Scripture? There are 23 things listed here that the judgment of God will come upon that leads to death. Let's look at Luke 23, 23. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed. Let's look at Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Everybody say death. death. But that's not the end of the story. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Words mentioned 23 times, and this is in the King James Version. The word killeth, the word baptism, the word leaven, the word hell. 23 times all in the New Testament. And the word death is mentioned 138 times. That is 6 times 23. 23 in the negative represents death. This is going to be a year that you're going to see death take place and in some high places. But I'm not going to leave you there. The positive meaning of 23 is the presence of the Lord. See, I faced death almost a year and a half ago. Death came knocking at the door. But Jesus was standing at the door. And Jesus said death couldn't get in the door because I have the keys of hell and death in the grave. And they, they, I, I didn't allow the devil and death to get through the door. Hallelujah. That's the presence of God. A very key passage of scripture this year is the 23rd Psalm. I want you to memorize it. I want you to quote it. I want you to pray it. I want you to find it some way to play it in your car. Listen to it. Get it in your spirit. It's key. But I want to focus right this moment on verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I want you to note the words, for you are with me. In the midst of a year where death is, is ringing the doorbell, in the midst of the year where God is visiting judgment and death upon those who have, have just shook their fists in his face and pointed their finger in his face and rejected his word and rejected over and over and over again his voice, we have the promise of God's presence. Hallelujah. The 23rd verse of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. Behold the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel which is translated God with us. Jeremiah 23 23. I am I a God near at hand. Says the Lord. And not a God afar off. Now I believe that this year we're going to see a return. To the fear of the Lord. We've lost the fear of God in our nation. We've really lost the fear of God in church. And I believe we're going to receive a return to the fear of the Lord. My spiritual father was a man who prophesied to my wife when she was 16. That God would send her an Isaac. Brother John Todd, he preached here. He's in heaven today. At 90 years of age, he went home to be with Jesus. He told me for months, he told me I'm going home. I'm not long for this world, Terry. I'm going home. He knew it. He was excited about it because he knew that's what God had for him next. But I can remember him preaching years ago. He'd point his finger and he'd say, the fear of God's coming back into the church. The fear of God. And I can hear him. And all this week, I could just see him and hear him saying those words. And the Lord says, son, I'm bringing the fear of God back into the church. I believe we're going to receive a return to the fear of the Lord. Now, what is the fear of God? Well, let me give you some scriptures. Psalms 19, 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalms 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Psalms 33, 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his mercy. Psalms 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalms 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 8.13, the, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Proverbs 14.26 in the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Having the fear of the Lord is not fearing and trembling and shaking in his presence. But having the fear of God is a reverential awe that recognizes God is my Father. It recognizes if God be for me, who can be against me? The fear of the Lord is being sold out to Him. And it, that produces a, a healthy fear on the inside of us, a reverence for Him on the inside of us that we don't want to sin against Him, that we don't want to disobey Him, that we want to walk with Him and live for Him. You see, I don't preach a legalistic gospel. I preach a gospel that sets us 
free. But it requires on our part that we sell out. He wants us 100% body, soul, and spirit. He wants all of us this morning. And that, my friends, is the fear of God that we totally and completely commit ourselves unto him. And I'm afraid to sin. I'm afraid of the consequences of it. I don't want to hurt my Savior. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything to embarrass him. But I want to live for him and be a light in this dark world. Can somebody shout amen? I believe God's given us the following instructions. Let me run through them real quickly. And I use the fear of the Lord to lay a foundation for where I'm going. Several weeks ago, the Lord spoke the word retribution to me. He said, this has been a year of recompense and a time of recompense. But in this year, you're going to see divine retribution. So I started looking up some scriptures and looking up the meaning of the word. In Deuteronomy 32, 35, and this is from the New American Standard Version. It says, vengeance is mine and retribution. I want you to notice what it says. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip, for their day of disaster is near, and the impending things are hurrying to them. Retribution is defined as deserved and severe punishment. I believe we're going to see divine retribution beginning this year. God is going to have the final word. What is retribution? Well, I found this definition. The act of punishing or taking vengeance for wrongdoing, sin, or injury. It is punishment or vengeance. It comes really from a Latin word, deserved and severe punishment. Let me give you some synonyms for retribution. One of the words is recompense. You see a theme that God has given us? Recompense is the positive. Retribution is the negative. You say, Pastor, you shouldn't be preaching this this morning. Well, listen to me. The Bible says God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If we sow to the flesh, we will of the flesh reap destruction. But we sow to the spirit... We shall reap destruction. I just wrote this in my notes. I hope you'll understand it. I believe the chickens are about to come home to roost. Why has God not judged this nation? Well, I think we've been under correction. And I, I don't see a nationwide judgment where God's just going to cause our enemies to come in and overtake us. That's not what I'm preaching. I'm telling you there's divine retribution. There are going to be pockets of places that come under divine retribution because of their rejection of God. Do you know the Supreme Court of South Carolina overturned the heartbeat bill? I believe the chickens are about to come home to roost. And this retribution, guess where it's going to start? It's going to start in the house of God. Boy, it's quiet in here. Was this the same folks that were shouting earlier? Did I get mixed up and going to church next door? First Peter 4, 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Judgment starts here. Starts with us. You say, yeah, God's got to go down the street and get them. He's going to come here first. James 3, 1, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Can I just preach a minute to you? Can I be real with you? Can I just be real pastoral with you it's just for a moment? I watched a compilation of videos. I saved it. Maybe I'll bring it and show it to you on a Wednesday night or something here. Of woke churches. 
And they were standing up there in these robes and their ecclesiastical garments. And, and they were saying things that I'll dare not repeat in this pulpit. They were making a mockery of God's word. They were trying to twist God's word and twist the, the birth of Christ and twist the mother of God, Mary, and twist things to fit an awoke agenda. And I'm telling you, God has had enough of that business in the church. And he's coming to judge the church. You listen to me, I prophesy and tell you that there are going to be deaths in the church house because they've refused to listen to the voice of God and listen to the Holy Spirit when he came to bring them conviction and they continued in their wickedness and they became apostate. I'm telling you, there's going to be a separation between the true bride of the Lord Jesus Christ and the bride that's the false bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostate church in this last day. Judgment begins at the house of God. In Acts chapter 5, the first 11 verses, there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They lied about the offering, and they fell dead. Look at verse 5. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who feared these things. Number 16, Korah and his household challenged God's man Moses and Aaron. And they were swallowed up into a pit. Because of their rebellion against God and his chosen leaders. Listen to me. Churches that have abandoned the word of God and embraced perversion and wickedness are going to experience divine retribution. It won't be just that God's going to come and just, just kill out everybody. God's going to come and give them an opportunity and a space to repent. We can't trample on this book, folks. This is holy. This is sacred. We can't trample on this book. We can't pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. we got to take the whole counsel of God. we got to preach the whole counsel of God. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's a little hard. Sometimes it may hurt. It may pierce us. But I've come to tell you, I want my soul to be clean before the Lord. How about you? I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. I'm not pointing my finger or I'm not denigrating or another denomination or another church. I pray for every church in this community. I really sincerely do. I pray that God will visit them and visit us and that every church in this community would experience his glory. I don't want to see anything happen to any church. I don't want any kind of scandal to get on the news or before the news. But I've come to tell you that God is going to deal with these things in this hour. We're in a time of visitation. And listen, visitation's a two-edged sword. Visitation brings miracles, blessings, salvation. Visitation exposes those hidden things. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. We've got to make our call and election sure this year. That brings me to my second point, and that's this. We're going to have a time of retribution, but there's going to be a time of removal. Listen to me. People who are in government offices through fraud and deceit are going to be removed. God's going to uncover hidden sins. Proverbs 28, 13. I know you thought I was going to come today and tell you that this is going to be a year of favor. and you're just going to have... There's a storm coming, and I want to prepare you for it. 
There's a storm coming in the economy. There's a storm coming in our nation. There's a storm coming in the world. It's already over the world, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. But after the storm is over, we're going to still be standing with the glory of God and the presence of God. We're going to make it through the storm. And the storm, things are going to fall out of the storm for the glory of the kingdom of God. And many souls are going to come into the harvest in these last days. Hallelujah. God's going to uncover hidden sins. Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus visits the seven churches of Revelation. He brings commendation and he brings correction. He commends the things they're doing right, but then he corrects the things they're doing wrong. And the last church is the church of Laodicea. And I want you to hear the conversation he has with them. Laodicean church is known as the lukewarm church. In Revelation 3, 15 and 16, he said, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Listen to his words in Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. What happens... When Jesus comes to church, what happens when Jesus comes to church? John 2, 14 through 17, he found them in the temple, those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. And when he made a whip of cords. Now, we don't think about Jesus with a whip of cords. If we were to raise up this uh, screen today, there's a picture of Jesus there. But he's not holding a whip. I grant you that most of you probably don't have a picture of Jesus in your house with a whip in his hand. He had a whip in his hand. And listen, look at what he did. He drove out all of them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. He said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. He overturned things. And he drove out those who were profiting off of God's people. My third point is simply this. These are the words that God spoke to me. And I put them in this kind of order so they're easy to remember. This will be a year of resources. A year to establish new supply lines. And we need to pray and ask God to open up new resources. What is the image of this Hebrew year? The camels are coming. In Genesis 24, 63, Isaac went out to meditate in the field. And in the evening, he lifted his eyes and looked. And there, the camels were coming. This will not be automatic. You're not just going to wake up one morning and your bank account's going to be full. We're going to have to contend to realize the promises of provision. 
how do we access these resources? Well, we have to learn and practice the discipline of giving. The world's method says save, cut, budget. God's method says give. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, I practice this. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. First fruits is not your tithe. First fruit is what I give at the beginning of each month to open up that month. It's over and above my tithe. First fruit is when I have a, an investment that pays off, that I take part of that and give that as a first fruit unto the Lord. And notice what will happen when you do that. Your barns will be filled with plenty. I've come to testify this morning that my barns are filled with plenty. How about you? We're the only culture in the world that has uh, many warehouses. And they're springing up everywhere. And I'm the proud part owner of one every 30 days. Amen. What happens when we give? God makes a way in the midst of recession, shaking, and economic uncertainty. And here's my last point is this. I have a lot more that I want to say, but time is limited. And I've taken a lot of time this morning because I want to prepare you for what's ahead. The last point that God gave me was this. Revival. I'm 60 years young. This year I'll be 61. I've been in ministry for 35 years full time. Probably a little longer than that, but that's pretty much what we look at. March, we'll be married 35 years. We've spent all of our married life in ministry, serving the Lord. Since I was a young man, and I just started preaching, I preached, believed, and prayed for revival. I've pastored four churches, and all four of those churches, I have stood, I've prayed, and I believe for revival. We've seen pockets, we've seen glimpses, we've had month-long revivals and six-week revivals through the years. A few years ago, we had a six-week revival here at South Greenwood. Joel Talley was our evangelist. Joel would come and he and Gina would play and sing and minister, and we had tremendous services, and, out, and it went for six weeks. And only God knows what was done for eternity in those six weeks. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about extended meetings. I'm talking about a true revival that will touch the church and it will, it will revolutionize our lives. It will, it will change our lives. I first went to pastor this church. The Lord gave me a vision for revival. And I was getting a lot of pressure from the church people. So we don't... We don't want to be a revival church. We, we want to be a family church. We want, we want your vision to focus around the family. We want, we want to be a fa And I was getting a lot of pressure from sectors to do that. And I was in a place of discouragement. 
And Brother Todd sent me a tape. Y'all, anybody remember tapes? Cassette tape. That's how long this has been. And it was a testimony from Pastor John Kilpatrick of when he was a young boy in a church in Georgia. He said the pastor had been like a father to him and some of the young men. And all of those young men had gone into ministry and all those young men were serving the Lord in ministry even to this day. And as you know, Pastor John Kilpatrick was the pastor of Brownsville Assembly of God where the Pensacola outpouring took place that lasted for a number of years. And now he's the pastor of church of his presence. And he's been like a mentor to me. And I had the privilege when he preached our camp meeting to drive him to and from church service every day. I was riding one day from the office home and I was listening to this this tape. And he told the story about his pastor. He said that they had had an evangelist that come and the pastor had discerned that something wasn't right with the evangelist so he, he shut the revival down. And there were people in the church that got upset with him. They felt like he had missed God. They felt like he had shut down the move of God. And so he had decided with the opposition that he was getting in that church that he would just resign and go to another church. So he said he took all of us young boys out to supper one night and he told us, I'm going to be leaving, I'm going to be resigning the church, and I'm going to be going to a a different place. And they said it was like somebody stabbed us in the heart. It It was so difficult. And at that time they were praying at night. They'd pray at about 10 o'clock at night. They'd go over to the church and they'd lock themselves in the sanctuary. And he said, we had great big wooden doors on the front of that sanctuary. He said, I can still remember how that lock would go click, click when you would click it shut. And he said, we were in that building and we were praying and interceding. He said, the lights were kind of turned down. There might have been some music playing a little bit in the background. And said, we were spread out across that congregation and we were praying. And he said, I heard that door go click, click from the outside. And I looked back and he said, a big old angel came in on one side and stood at the very back of the church, big tall, big tall angel stood at the back of the church, never said anything, just stood there. About that time, another angel came into the next room and stood on this side of the church. Said, didn't say anything, just stood there. Said, we were all in awe and you could feel such a presence from the Lord. And they stood there for a while, and after a little while, they just turned, and they went back out, and the door locked behind them. He said that Wednesday night we came to church. He said the power of God touched that church, and he said four or five people just fell out of the pew and got filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And said that brother stayed there for many years and never had any more opposition to what he was doing. As I was listening to that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as he's ever spoken to me. He son, I didn't call you to raise up a church that's just going to be a church of families. I called you to raise up a church that's going to experience my power and my glory. Don't you back off of your vision for revival. I've come to tell you, in the midst of retaliation and restitution and recompense, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of shaking, in the midst of a world that seems like it's in chaos, God is going to pour out his spirit like we've never experienced it before and we're going to see God's glory in this last day hallelujah stand with me